you know, every year around Easter, I love to make some time to, to just get alone with my Bible and to just read through the story again. I mean, it, it is such a blessing to do that. And it has been such a blessing for us to celebrate over these past couple of weeks, Easter 2019 with all of you, to once again come back to the story and to be impacted anew by the stunning truth of this story that God became one of us. We put him to death, even though he'd done no wrong, but God's plan that was that his death would mean freedom and forgiveness for all who put their faith in Jesus. Because he didn't stay dead. I mean, God raised him from the dead. And now life, life eternal, is available for all of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus. That is the story. That is the story that can change your life for eternity, if you respond to it. Whenever I read the scriptures, particularly the, the narrative parts, the, the parts where a story is being told, as opposed to the, the straight teaching of some of the, the pastoral letters or, say, the, the poetic writing of the Psalms, when I read narrative, I try to place myself within the story. I, I try to imagine what it must have been like to live through these events, to actually have been there. And so I want us to try to do that together this morning. I want us to imagine that we are part of that small little group of believers who were with Jesus in Jerusalem when he was arrested, put on trial, brutally flogged, and then crucified on a desolate hill beyond the city walls by Roman soldiers. I want us to try to get inside the story. So often I find that that God speaks to my spirit when I do that. He speaks to me in a way that is different from when I read the story as an outsider. So let's open the Word of God to uh, Luke chapter 24. Now this is all happening on, this, on Easter Sunday, okay, Sunday morning. But very early on Sunday, very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. The followers of Jesus are in hiding. In the opening chapter of the book of Acts, we read that there are about 120 believers gathered in one place. So let's say that there were, say, about half that number, right? So there's a group of people kind of like about that in the middle. So imagine that. You're all together. You're gathered in the upper room. Try to imagine what this is like for these people. They are scared, they are gathered together and they are scared. Things have moved so fast for them over the last seven days. At the start of the week, Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a, a donkey. I mean, on the colt of a donkey. He comes riding into Jerusalem and they're laying down their coats. They're laying down palm branches and they're saying, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But then just a matter of days later... The crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, you can't quite believe it. I mean, crucify him, he's done nothing wrong. But there's nothing you can do about it. The religious leaders now have him and they seem to have power to do as they please. And then they get the Romans involved. And I mean, they really can do as they please. Jesus, the one you love, the one you follow, the, the one who is going to make everything right, 
is mercilessly flogged. And then you watch as they hoist him, naked, smashed beyond recognition, up on a cross to, to die. I mean, everyone in Jerusalem is watching. It's unavoidable. You can't not watch that the brutality is happening right in front of you and you're powerless to stop it. You fear for your very life, as do all the others. Even Peter is scared. I mean, even Peter. He, Peter's so scared that he denied even knowing Jesus. You and most of the others have found each other amongst the commotion and you're huddling together, hiding in the upper room of a large house, expecting that at any moment... The guards may burst in and find you and, I mean, who knows what they might do. If they killed Jesus, what might they do to you? A few of the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, her sister, and a few of the others, well, they're worried about doing the right thing. I mean, preparing his body properly. The thing is that it all happened too close to the Sabbath. There just wasn't time to do things the right way. His body needed to be anointed and, you know, with perfumes and oils and spices. It needed to be done. Thing is, in the custom of the day, at some stage in the future, you'd have to go back into the tomb. Is this mic dropping out? It is. Do you want me to... Is it all right? Yeah. Um, at some stage in the future, you've got to know this, that they're going to have to go back into that tomb and they're going to gather up the bones, what's left, and they're going to put the bones of Jesus into a box that's about this big, an alabaster kind of limestone or something. You know, They made these boxes and they, they would put the, put the bones in there and they would scratch into the side of the, the box the name. And then they would just keep those bones then forever. And the next generation would be able to say, oh, there's Jesus. And that, all of that had to take place so that a year down the track, it would okay. The women were concerned that these things were done for Jesus. If they were going to steal his body, I mean, if they were going to fake his resurrection... They just wouldn't have gone to all that trouble. I mean, the expensive perfumes, oils, spices had to be gathered. They were kept as family treasures. They were worth a lot of money. They were expensive. So amidst their grief, the women would have spent Saturday getting things organised. Sunday morning, they're probably all sleeping in the same house. I mean, this is a time of crisis. You know what that's like, don't you? In a, in a time of crisis, you all just hang together and you stay together. You know, think about bushfires and, and the like. I mean, I'm sure they were all together. And the, the narrative seems to indicate that this was the case. Before sunrise, the women are quietly getting ready to go to the tomb. Remember, most of them are asleep. So just imagine the situation. They're quietly getting the stuff together and they're going. But remember that they've gone days without much sleep. The whole group is fatigued and emotionally they're wrung out. Remember that this is Sunday morning and they got up Thursday morning thinking it was another day. They had no idea how the rest of that day would pan out. 
They had no idea what that weekend would entail for them. This group of people are tired. They are worn out. They They are just emotionally wrung out. But very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went in, but they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. That They were puzzled, trying to think what could have happened to it. Suddenly, two men appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The, the women were terrified and bowed low before them. Then the men asked, Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again that third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. The women who went to the tomb were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and several others. They told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe it. I want you to notice what happened. The women came back. The women come back to the apostles with the good news. They come back with the gospel message as the first apostles. He is risen. And and they weren't guessing about it either. I mean, they were met by two angels. They looked like men, but they wore dazzling robes. And they clearly said, he is not here. He is risen from the dead. And they even reminded the women of that time in Galilee when Jesus told them that this would happen. But it sounded like nonsense to the men. Remember, in this culture, a woman's testimony in court was absolutely worthless. So the men just discounted the story. They said it was nonsense. It made no sense. Now, one of the women didn't return with this group. Mary Magdalene, it seems, stayed behind at the tomb. She seems to have become separated from the other women. So whilst the others are returning to the men, we read in John's Gospel account that Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. She's obviously just so overcome with emotion that she says, oh, you go on, you go on, I'll stay here. She's staying behind and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And there she encountered two angels standing at the foot and the head of the place where Jesus had been lying. And as she turned around, Jesus was right there with her, with Mary, Mary Magdalene, a woman, someone who had been demon-possessed, someone who was probably an ex-prostitute, someone who in their culture was considered filthy, unworthy, a sinner. The first person Jesus appeared to was probably the last person I'd choose. But while all of this was happening, we read in Luke that that Peter heard the news from the other women and was now running to the tomb himself. Verse 12 says, However, Peter ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in, 
and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Take note of that. Peter ran to the tomb to see for himself. John's gospel, written many years later, John's gospel says that he, John, ran with Peter and actually got there first. Remember, John's probably about 19. Peter may be in his late 20s, right? John gets there first. But John doesn't have the courage to go inside. And it seems that Peter was the first tomb. Yeah, I love this about the gospel accounts. That they are so they're so real, aren't they? So authentic because they're so different. I mean, they don't contradict each other because it's truth, but they're written from the point of view of the witness, you know, the, the, the individual involved involved. They are eyewitness accounts. They don't contradict each other. They tell the truth. But they're different because they come from different perspectives, different angles. I love the fact that John says, I got there first. I got there first, but Peter went in ahead of me. Luke's account then moves on to tell us about two followers of Jesus, right, who were leaving town. This is verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles, right? So that's about... 11 kilometres out of Jerusalem. Once again, try to imagine it. I had a look on the map. It's like kind of walking from here to Forrester's Beach. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a distance, isn't it? You know, they're, they're walking and that's how far it is to Emmaus, right? They're on their way. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was, because God kept them from recognising him. You seem to be in deep discussion about something, he said. What are you so concerned about? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem, who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Now, this is one of my favourite verses in the Bible. Jesus says, what things? I mean, it's the biggest thing that ever happened in the history of the entire universe. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus goes, what things? What things? What are you talking about? The thing that happened to Jesus. The man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had thought he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of the followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report and they said his body was missing and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive and some of our men ran out to see him and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women have said. Okay, let's just stop there. Just think about this. 
these guys aren't just walking down the road on any old day, are they? I mean, this is a big deal. Jesus, the risen Christ, went and found these guys on the road on some dusty track leading up over the hills around Jerusalem. Jesus went and found them before he appeared to the larger group. They were walking the 11 kilometres from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And I want you to notice that it wasn't as though they left without hearing the news about the disappearance of the body. These guys were there. We know they were there because they told Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus, but they told Jesus about it. They told him. They were there when the women returned with their story about encountering the angels. They were there when the men came back after checking the story. They were there when the men returned. These guys, these two blokes on the way to Emmaus, were running away, weren't they? They're running scared. They just want to get out of Jerusalem as soon as possible. Why? Because Jesus had let them down. Jesus had let them down. In their minds, you see, he hadn't lived up to their expectations of him. He'd let them down. We know that by what they said about Jesus. To Jesus. Have a look, verse 19. He was a prophet who did some wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all the people. We had thought he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. We thought he was the Messiah, but clearly he wasn't. See, Jesus didn't live up to their expectations of him. They expected him to rescue them. Rescue them from whom? From the Romans. They wanted a political fighter, a zealous leader who would rally the people to overthrow the corrupt Jewish king, Herod, and boot the Romans out of Palestine. You see, they thought, they believed. They believed that their greatest need was political freedom. Just like lots of people in our world today think, if we just get the right person in government, everything will be sorted. Let me tell you, friends, the kingdom of God is not ushered in by the Liberal Party or the Labour or the Republicans. Right? Praise God that Jesus is on the throne. And the kingdom of God is his. <laughs> but these guys are the same. You, you see, they thought, they believed their greatest need was just getting the Romans dealt with. But Jesus knew that their greatest need lay elsewhere. Jesus knew that their greatest need was to have their sins forgiven once and for all. Jesus knew that could only happen through his sacrificial death on their behalf. 
Jesus knew that if he didn't rise from the dead, we haven't got a hope. And it's the same today. If he doesn't rise from the dead, we haven't got a hope. And that's what they needed. They didn't get it. They were mixed up, lost, running. But Jesus went after them anyway. And he found them. Have a look, verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, You are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah, that you guys are looking for, that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things? Remember, he just asked them, what things? <laughs> and you say, they have to suffer all these things before entering the time of glory. Then Jesus quoted passage after passage from the, the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining what all the scriptures said about himself. And by this time, they're, they're nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey. And Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with them since it was getting late. So he went home and said, he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took a small loaf of bread, asked God's blessing on it, broke it, then gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Just put yourself there. You sit at the table and you say, whoa, hang on. And he disappeared. That'd do your head in, wouldn't it? You look at the other bloke and go, What just happened? And they said to each other, Didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem where the 11 disciples and the other followers of Jesus were gathered. Within the hour, they were heading back. I want you to notice that. They just walked 11 kilometres from Jerusalem. They're dead tired to start with, right? And it's now dark. Though being Passover, just like last weekend, the moon would have been full. So it's a pretty good night for them to walk back. But remember, they don't have street lights and there's no headlights. Right? They're not carrying any lights. <laughs> it's a pretty dark 11 kilometres back to Jerusalem. Right? At this time, in history, you just don't travel at night. It's just too dangerous. There's no street lights, dangers lurked everywhere. Regardless, right? they head straight back to the others. That's why I'm convinced they were running away. They were giving up. They were giving up. They were going home, back to their old way of life. But now, you see, now following a personal encounter with Jesus, they were going back. No matter what, no matter what the dangers, they were going back. Luke, Luke says, this is verse 33, he says, And when they arrived... They were greeted with the report, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. I love that bit too. No, no, seriously, he has risen because Peter saw him. Don't worry about the women. When we last heard about Peter, he'd been at the tomb, hadn't he? The last thing we read about Peter, it said, 
He went home wondering what had happened. Do you see? Sometime during the day, sometime during the day, the Lord appeared to Peter. That's all we know. I'm not surprised that Peter didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to tell Mark when he's writing the gospel. He's like, no, we'll just keep that between Jesus and me. Sometime during the day, Jesus caught up with Peter. I don't know what happened, but they sorted it out. Surely, surely... With all the women coming back, you'd th- it's laughable today, isn't it? Surely you would think they would understand. But Because even Mary said, I grabbed him. I grabbed hold of him, right? And Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I haven't ascended to the Father. But they did believe Peter. That's what it says. The thing I want you to notice here is this. Jesus went after Peter. Jesus went after his close mate. On Friday night, he denied even knowing him. He went after him and he found him. I think that's a beautiful thing and I've often missed that because we don't hear a lot about it, but it's there that Jesus goes after Peter. Luke's Gospel then says, Then the two men from Emmaus told their story. So while this is going, the two men come back in and they tell the story about Jesus had appeared to them as they're walking along the road and how they'd recognised him and he... He was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it. So just try to put yourself there. You're listening. Really? Jesus said this and that? And as that happened, Jesus, Jesus appeared. Suddenly he's standing there among them. And he says, peace be with you. But the whole group was terrified. Terribly frightened. Thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Do you doubt who I am? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see I do. And as he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see. And he showed them his feet. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? Jesus just appears there. They're all recoiling in fear. They think they're seeing a ghost and he must have just kind of walked in amongst them. He's just brushing up. He's going, touch me, feel my hands, right? And he's walking amongst them. Still, they stood there doubting, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him some broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me by Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must all come true. Then he opened their minds to understand these many scriptures. Now he probably at that stage went, Shazam! And they all got it. Now he probably said, where's the whiteboard? Give me a whiteboard or something. I'll draw some diagrams. We'll get some proof texts. Do you get it? Jesus sat down with them, didn't he? He goes, look, let me explain it all to you. He sits down and he, he reveals to them the word of God. That's what he did. He, he explained it all to them. It must have been some night, wouldn't it? When you think about it, he, he opened their mind to the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago. 
that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise again from the dead on the third day. And then he says, with my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. This morning, I just want to ask you, in this central story, in this narrative which lies at the very centre of our faith and eternal hope, in this story that we need to know, we need to just think it through and live with it, we need to know this story inside out, who do you most closely identify with? Who do you identify with? with? Which character? Are you like the women who thought that getting the burial spices ready was the most important thing? I mean, think about it. Ultimately, there's no need to anoint his body with spices, was there? He wasn't dead. He was alive. They're fussing over nothing. Why? Because they didn't believe what he said earlier. He told them, didn't, like, last time I preached, two weeks ago, he actually, he's walking through that, that territory above Samaria, and he told them, he said, in three days, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to die, and I'm going to have to suffer. He told them. Are you like the women who were fussing about stuff that just didn't matter? He didn't need to be anointed. He was alive. Or are you like the men back home who heard the good news but thought it was nonsense? I mean, lots of people are like that today. You know, being a pastor for, you know, 20 years or so, you end up with, do a lot of Easter and Christmas services. And I've got to tell you, a lot of people come to church at Easter and Christmas. Why? Not for Dad. No one ever comes to church at Easter for Dad. I've learnt that. They come for Mum. Mum loves Jesus, and it really would mean a lot to Mum if we were there. And you see the family all lined up, looking awkward. Mum's so pleased. <laughs> she always looks up at me, this Mum, whoever they are. She always gives me this look like, you'd better get them saved, because this is the only change you're going to get. But are you like those men who thought it was all nonsense? Well, you're just like those guys, you know, if that's you. They needed a personal experience of Jesus. They weren't going to take it from the women. They weren't going to get the good news from them. They needed a personal experience of Jesus. And we all do, don't we? Yeah, my prayer and probably mum's prayer as well is that you would eventually, if that's you, you would experience Jesus in such a real and personal way that you just won't be able to deny it any longer. Just like they were. 
Maybe you're like the two guys on the road to Emmaus. I've known lots of people like this. You're bailing out and running home. Why? Because Jesus hasn't met your expectations of him. He hasn't delivered in the way you wanted him to. So you're here. You just go, I'm off. No, no, I I got sold this this idea that Jesus was going to do this and this and this for me and he hasn't, so I'm off. Jesus will hunt you down eventually, (laughs) just like he hunted down these guys. And hopefully when he does, you'll see that Jesus just knows better about what you really need than you do. Guys on the way to Emmaus, they thought they needed a political Messiah. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to deal with it in a bigger sense. Or maybe, maybe you're just like Peter. You feel like you've blown it. You know, at some stage in the past, you decided to follow Jesus. You had high expectations of yourself. Maybe even you told people about all the great things you were going to do for God, but you let him down somehow. And deep down, you just can't really face him or anyone else. And as a result, you're kind of hiding in the shadows, keeping your mouth shut. You need to know that Jesus knew Peter was going to let him down, didn't he? In fact, he told him the night before. You know, when Peter said, Oh Lord, I will go to, yeah, I'll die for you. I'll do anything. And Jesus just went, Oh Peter, mate, before the sun comes up, before the cock crows, you're going to tell people you don't even know me. You know, I've said this before, and some people take offence. They misunderstand it. But I think it's true. God has no expectations. God has no expectations for you. Why? Because he knows the future. While you think, I can't believe it, I've let him down again. I'm sure the Lord's there going, you've only got 20 more to go, and then you'll be done. I knew you were going to let me down, just like Peter. But you keep plugging away. Because I'm going to make you like me. Because what does it say? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he will. He will. So you need to know that. That the Lord knew that Peter was going to let him down. He told him it was going to happen. He knew that he was going to let him down, but then he went after him anyway. He still wants to forgive you and he wants you back, not hiding in the shadows. And if you read on in the the sequel to Luke's gospel, the book of Acts, what do we discover there about Peter, the guy that denied even knowing Jesus? This same Peter... What is it, 40 days later? 50 days later? Not very long, is it? He stands up in front of thousands of people and preaches what's called kind of the first Christian sermon. 
He stands up before the very people who crucified Jesus and he proclaims the good news. And the Bible tells us that on that day about 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus because of Peter's words. We worship the same Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And the human condition is just the same. Nothing has changed. We're just like those men and women living thousands of years ago. Our greatest need still revolves around the sin issue. How do we deal with our sin? How do we get right with God? My prayer is that you would come to know him maybe for the first time. Or maybe you've walked with him for many years. My prayer is that you would come to know him more deeply. Let's pray together. Lord, it's good to go back over the story again. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just quietly speak into us now. Who do we identify with most? Which character in this story represents where we're at at this time? And Lord, I pray that you would be very present to us, that your Holy Spirit would gently lead us through that situation into healing and wholeness. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.